0: Hi, welcome to After the Crisis with Victoria. On this podcast, we talk about stress, trauma, plain old bad days, and how those events impact the way in which we walk through the world. Everyone needs to be heard, and I am here to listen. Together, we will find realistic, healthy ways to turn our setback into a comeback. If you're a person who has ever endured difficult times, which have left you feeling disconnected from your authentic self, a little bruised, or even a little broken, this podcast is for you. Hi, everybody. This is Victoria. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of After the Crisis with Victoria. I am really honored to have the guest that has joined me today. Before I search for guests, I always Pray and ask the universe to just put the right people in my path. Because as I've mentioned before, this is a labor of love for me. Um, I feel called to help others after going through many crises in my life. The most recent one is, you all know, triple negative breast cancer. But that was just the obvious crisis—the one that people could see on the outside. Like most of us, we've all had our internal struggles, and. That's why I'm called to do what I am doing and talk about life after the crisis and how it changes us, how we can advocate for ourselves and those that we love, and also how we can begin to heal. So today I'm honored to have Michelle Dickinson. Michelle is a mental health advocate, a TED speaker, and a published author of a memoir entitled Breaking Into My Life. Michelle grew up being a caregiver for her bipolar mother. Her memoir offers a rare glimpse into a young girl's experience living with and loving her bipolar mother. Michelle also spent years working to eradicate the mental health stigma within her own workplace by elevating compassion, causing more open conversations, and leading real change in how mental illness is understood in the corporate setting. In addition, she also knows firsthand what it feels like to struggle with a mental illness after experiencing depression which did not onset until her 40s. So Michelle has an interesting term for this. She calls this the trifecta. And if you're listening to this and you can relate to any of these things, you were a caregiver or are a caregiver for somebody with mental health issues. If you have experienced your own mental health problems, which maybe happened when you were young or maybe have just happened recently, or... You're in a workplace and you are either challenged with advocating for yourself and your mental health issues, or you are compassionate and trying to figure out how to help those you work with. This is a podcast which I urge you to listen to, take notes, and listen to Michelle's journey. Michelle, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very happy and honored that you agreed to join me.
1: Thank you for having me, Victoria. That was quite the introduction. I don't know. I hope I live up to everything you just said.
0: (laughs) You know, I've encountered this before whenever I introduce my guests and they're like, whoa, that's me. (laughs) It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool to hear about yourself in the third person. like. (laughs) I'm not, not bad, (laughs) not bad, Michelle. So yeah, well, you know, I applaud you for your vulnerability and your passion for what you're doing, because it really, as I've read about you and listened to a few of your other podcasts and explored your website, I'm just blown away with the passion you have for this mission. So, I thought as we talk today, maybe we could just talk about that trifecta that you so aptly named your journey. Sure. From here, I'll, I'll just give it over to you and you can just kind of start from the beginning. Awesome.
1: I love what you opened with though. First Victoria is that you pray in the beginning when you're trying to identify guests, you ask that the right people be put in your path. And I believe so much in that too, because I would have never, if you asked me five years ago, if I would be sitting here talking about a memoir that I wrote, I would never have imagined that that would have happened Mm -hmm. because I didn't realize that there was an advocate inside of me. Mm -hmm. I just knew that I had a story and I wanted to tell it. And the way everything has unfolded, I believe is truly supported by a higher power. I'm just kind of the vehicle or the messenger. And I love being able to fulfill on that. That gives me so much joy. So around the trifecta, as you beautifully put, I grew up with this mom who had bipolar disorder. I loved her dearly. I tried so hard to care for her in moments of deep depression and support her every way I could. And it literally that experience shaped me into the person that I grew up to be. And I still struggle with some of the impact that that's had on my life. But in my memoir, I also clearly can identify how it has positively served me as well, Mm -hmm. which is not something I could always see. So that's the first part of the trifecta. The second is that I never in a million years thought, because I knew what it looked like from afar to have depression, Mm -hmm. in a million years that I ever think I would deal with having depression myself due to a life event And it just really grounded me that we are all vulnerable to a mental illness, no matter what, no matter if we have a parent that has had it or anything, life events can take us down. And it just really got me grounded in that, you know, no one's immune. So I dealt with this depression for the first time in my 40s and had a therapist who helped me navigate it because I was going through divorce and I was just kind of trying to figure things out. And then simultaneously to that, I was working at this wonderful company, Fortune 500 company, who was very progressive, wanting to create inclusion for people with mental illness, invisible disabilities. And I was part of the leadership team that helped grow that into the fastest growing and the largest employee resource group within the company.
0: Wow. A couple of questions. Talk to me a little bit about... Being a caregiver for your mother. And as I briefly discussed with you before our session, this is a very personal topic to me Mm -hmm. because I had a mother with untreated mental illness. And I think oftentimes as caregivers, our experiences are similar Mm -hmm. in that for me, at least, I felt like if I could just let her pour and dump into me, if I could just take it on, keep taking it on, that somehow it would make her better. Um, Can you relate to that and tell me a little more about your mom and just what that was like? You you and I are around the same age. So what that was like in the 70s? and 80s growing up with mental illness in your home. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, like you, Victoria, I'm sure you didn't know any different. That was your norm. That's the role you played. You didn't ask for it. You didn't say, I'll take that on. It was just your norm. And you don't really recognize it until you step out of the household and go and experience other family dynamics and go... (laughs) well, this is different. (laughs) So I mean, my mom from a very young age, maybe I was four years old or five, I think she struggled with bipolar had the rapid cycling of mania to depression. And the goal of the household was to keep her at peace, Mm -hmm. was to keep her happy was whatever it took to try to keep stability. So there wasn't any severe upset, any severe depression any mania and like you foolishly I thought I had the control to do that if I was just a good little girl if I would just clean the house if I would just get her what she wanted if I would just not want to go out with my friends Mm -hmm. if I would just have good grades like all of those expectations were layered on me and then when she was severely ill they would hospitalize her Mm -hmm. But she had to be really sick in order for that to happen. So there would be moments where she was extremely fragile and couldn't be left alone. And my dad would ask me to stay with her because she couldn't be left alone and he had to work. He was the one providing for the family. So I just would take that on. It was hard. And again, I didn't know any better. I kept it a secret. It was a very big embarrassment. I didn't want anyone to know what I was dealing with. I wouldn't let my friends come over. Mm -hmm. I had a false sense that she was okay one time, I invited my girlfriend over and she went nuts. And I had to then explain that. So I was like, nope, never again, my having friends over. Mm. So that was hard. And then you also had the moments where she was sick. I would have to be out of school for several weeks and I'd have to go back to school and try to explain, you know, where I was and why I was out. So, I mean, it was definitely a challenge. And when I released my memoir in the beginning of 18, The thing that amazed me was there were so many girls in my high school class, girls and guys who reached out to me and said, I was dealing with the same thing. We were in class next to each other and we had no clue because we were so embarrassed Mm -hmm. to talk about it.
0: So just going to stop you right there and put this into context. So you're how old at this point when you're missing weeks of school? Junior high, seventh or eighth grade seventh or eighth grade and you are not going to school because it's your responsibility to stay home and take care of your mother.
1: Yeah, she couldn't be left alone and she wasn't so severe that they had to institutionalize her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> As you're hitting puberty and all oh. the all the fun that goes along with being a teenager, mm-hmm. coming into those changes in your body and your emotions and your hormones and everything else, you are home. Making sure your mother doesn't hurt herself. Right. I'm assuming. Right.
1: Yep. That she's okay. That she's not gone off and gotten into her car and driven someplace or gone Mm -hmm. on a shopping spree and spent money that we didn't have Mm -hmm. or whatever.
0: And then all along feeling like, if I can just be good enough, if I can do more, if I can be more, somehow that will help her get better. She'll see this in me and it will make her get better.
1: Yeah. Because when you're a little human being and you act a certain way and you see a correlation that you think could be the reaction of to course. what you're doing, you repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> and you think, I have the power. Oh my goodness. I have the power to keep her calm. I have the power to make her smile. I have the power to make her be okay. Mm-hmm. And then when I don't, it's like, what did I do wrong? And you know, not right. only that, like even the education around mental health wasn't good. I mean, my of father, course. God bless my father. He would never leave my mother. He would never not want to take care of her. He never left her side, no matter all the years of mental illness. Mm -hmm. But he would literally use that against me and say, would you stop being bad because you're causing her to have her upsets? And I'm not angry at him for that. That's Mm -hmm. just a reflection of what he knew and didn't know around mental health. Of course,
0: of course. It was not that long ago. But when we talk about mental health and the way that thankfully it is evolving it has a long way to go right. but when we look back on that era it seems like eras and you know just yes. forever ago that it was just such a unknown territory people just did not know how to name it how yeah. to deal with it the medications were mm-hmm. primitive yep basically just knocked everybody out yep when they were having at least in my experience, you know, just, Mm -hmm. they didn't know how to manage moods. They just would sedate basically.
1: Oh yeah. My mom had electronic shock therapy Mm -hmm. so many times, so many times. And, Mm -hmm. you know, her memory would start to go and she would come home a totally transformed human being and one that I wouldn't even recognize because she had undergone shock therapy and uh, it it was bizarre. It must've been, must've been
0: bizarre. So At what age were you able to, or were you able to ever extradite yourself from that situation in a way that you could protect yourself? Mm -hmm. Because I can relate to the fear and the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And even when I went to college, there was still a lot of very unhealthy interaction between Mm -hmm. my mother and myself. And, you know, I remember being in my dorm room on the floor crying Trying to console her, trying to help her through her most recent, whatever she was going through. And, you know, having a final the next day or, you know, having a project due and not knowing how to create healthy boundaries. So mm-hmm. share a little with me about what that was like for you. I had wanted
1: to go away to college but I wasn't encouraged to go away to college Mm -hmm. because I was needed to be at home. Mm -hmm. So I went to a local county college. So I never left in my college years. I actually stayed and actually I can't even call that my college years because I started going to a county college, hated it, dropped out and started working immediately. So I was still living at home and still playing the role of the caregiver up until the point where I met my first husband. Mm -hmm. And that, was the way out Mm -hmm. that moving in with him and getting married and taking on that life was really what initially got me out of the house and out of the circumstance. But yet, even though I was physically not there, she still had a hold on me, Mm -hmm. Uh, still manipulated, still called, still stressed wanting to see me, wanting to me to visit. And I never wanted to visit. I was so done. I was angry. I was hurt. And so it was probably the first marriage that I saw and out to get me out of physically being in that space with her.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can relate to that. You're exhausted. You're tired. You yeah. feel like your efforts are futile and you just want relief. Yeah. But at the same time, the compassion for what it must have been for our mothers, you yeah. know, to have been stuck in that trap Mm -hmm. of their minds as I've gotten older and struggled with my own issues. Thankfully, not as severe as that, but just, you know, I have grown to have more compassion for her. But I do remember being very angry and resentful and exhausted, just yeah. tired.
1: It's so great that you bring that up because I was a very angry young woman. Mm-hmm. I was very angry. I It was her fault I didn't go to college. It was uh, her fault i go away to the college I wanted to. It was her fault. All these things were wrong. And I was angry, very, very, very angry with her for many years, mm. And she controlled how I felt. And so it wasn't until I went to a therapist and started to create boundaries Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that were healthy boundaries for me. So it wasn't exhausting me. And it wasn't until I did a program, a self-discovery program where I could find compassion for my mom, where I could step back and say, I'm no longer looking at this from being at the effects of her abuse. Mm -hmm. I can now look at it as she was a woman trying to raise a family and navigate a mental illness. Holy crap, who am I to judge? Right. And then I could have some compassion for her. I could have never written my memoir had Mm -hmm. I not reached a point where I could find that love and forgiveness and and compassion for what life could have been like for her.
0: That's very honest. And I appreciate that. And I commend you for doing the work to get full circle because that's an easy thing to get stuck in. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure people who are caregivers (laughs) might be able to relate to that. It's punishing. It's
1: so punishing because there's no amount of giving that you can do that can make it all better. Mm -hmm. So you constantly are pulling and tapping into yourself. Like, coming from nothing but love and compassion, wanting to help them, but it is relentless and punishing. I mean, I I preach all the time to my caregivers, you have to protect your energy. You have to take care of yourself. You can't get lost in caring for them because no amount of getting
0: lost in caring for them is going to serve you. Right. And whoever is listening right now, if you are in this situation or have been in this situation, Michelle's got tremendous resources about how you can create those healthy boundaries and begin to heal yourself and again this is all part of my mission after the crisis even if like i said in my intro i don't care if you're still in it if it happened 10 years ago 20 years ago there is healing available so i'm going to go back to this later but I encourage you to check out Michelle's website. It's called breakingintomylife.com.
1: That's for my book, but my actual website with mental health coaching and support is michelleedickinson.com. Okay,
0: michelleedickinson.com. So that's the first part of the trifecta. And- I hope and pray that what we've shared can give some hope to others going through this. And I thank society and medicine for the progress that has been made. We do have a long ways to go, but I am so grateful that at least there's some conversation available and resources for not only the ones who are ill, but for their caregivers. So let's talk about your mental health. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you were adopted. So you didn't inherit this from your mother. No. And... You told me earlier and mentioned it again in the intro that you weren't affected by mental health issues until your 40s. Right. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I always struggled with seasonal depression, which was nothing too severe, right? I just mm-hmm. would get blue in the winter. I mean, I live in New Jersey right now. It's like <laughs> it's, it's as gloomy as can be after Christmas. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I always struggled a little bit with that, but like I never was diagnosed with a depression per se, but I found myself dealing with the fact that I was about to get divorced for the second time. And I mm-hmm. was really, I was really struggling with that. Like I knew in my heart, it was the right thing to do, but yet it still was an emotional journey. And I was really having a hard time with it and started to go to a therapist who I just happened to meet. It was like serendipity. And I asked him, you know, I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm really, I'm really having a hard time. I'm struggling to get out of bed. I'm struggling to be motivated. I'm, this should be a fairly exciting period for me because I'm about to start a different chapter of my life. But yet I'm, I'm really sad and depressed. And, you know, he confirmed it. He was like, you're dealing with a major life event. You know, I was married for 16 years together with my husband for 19. And, you know, all of a sudden, my life is about to totally change. And so yeah, so I, I got myself the care that I needed. Mm-hmm. And I did the best that I could. And it was not easy but I thought I was immune to it, right? Like I'm adapted. I'm not going to have this bipolar my mom dealt with. Boy, that looks awful. I don't want it. I'm not going to get it. I'm okay. But no, I mean, we all are human beings and life events happen and we can never Mm -hmm. predict when we're going to be the one suffering.
0: The word that resounds with me is should. And I think we should ourselves a lot. And again, this was part of my inspiration for this podcast after the crisis, because after cancer treatment, I thought I should feel a certain way. I should be so grateful that I am alive. I should be happier. Right. I should, I should, I should. Mm-hmm. And when you were saying, I should be happy, I'm I'm doing the right thing. Right. I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm about to start a new chapter. I should, I should. We do that to ourselves so much, and it can blind us to what's going on. Right. So, For our listeners who have never experienced mental illness, what are some of the signs when we can stop judging our feelings and our actions? What are some of the signs, if you've never dealt with this, if if this feels like really uncharted territory to you, what should we look for?
1: Physically, I was exhausted. I had feelings of hopelessness, right? Mm -hmm. Where like, am I going to be okay? Am I going to implode? Am I strong enough? I mean, all of those things played out in my head. Not motivated to do anything, not motivated to be social, not excited about life, like mm-hmm. just completely tired all the time, you know, gravitating to food. That was always my biggest weakness. Like, what mm-hmm. can I inhale that's going to make me temporarily feel happy? So that, and uh, just mentally not being able to focus. I remember struggling at work, struggling to do simple tasks that used to light me up and I would just be exhausted at the thought
0: of them. And it was really hard. Mm, Yeah. I can relate to that. Yes. And in my intro episode, I talk about what color shirt does your self-medication look like? Is it food? Mm -hmm. Is it alcohol? Is it pills? Is it social media? Is it gambling, shopping, sex, looking for validation from others? You know, what's it look like? Because we don't all have to fit into a specific box. And I also like what you said about things that used to light you up didn't anymore. Yeah. So that's something to look at.
1: Yeah. I have a very dear friend of mine, Susan, who used to say to me, have you been spinning clay because I'm a potter and that's where I find um, my my peace and my yeah. um, tranquility and and I can escape and she's like, have you been throwing clay and I'm like no I have no interest in it oh, yeah. and that's when I knew you know like the things that I love that bring me so much satisfaction yes. and joy I just was completely uninterested in and yeah those are some of the flags I mean I think if the things that you love you no longer, Love and you're tired, and you have hopeless thoughts more than you have of what's possible. Uh huh. There's probably some opportunity for you to talk to someone and try to figure out why.
0: Yes, that's great advice and great insight on your part. And I'm glad that you got the help you needed. I think a lot of mm-hmm. times, you know, the stigma, there is still stigma, pride. Uh, sense of self-sufficiency mm-hmm. that we can somehow fix this on our own and Absolutely. it's 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 okay to not be okay and it's important yep. to get help and again to our listeners Michelle has incredible resources available on her website to get some help she has an incredible website I encourage you to take a look at it but again she addresses so many different issues and this is another one so if you recognize yourself, Or someone you love in anything that we've just talked about, please take a look at the resources available. There are resources, and there is no shame stop shooting yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Finally, the third part of the trifecta is how you took your experiences and implemented them first into a Fortune 500 company. And then talk to me a little bit about that. And then also how you transitioned from working in that Fortune 500 company to doing what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. So at the beginning of 18, I was fortunate to publish my memoir and I was able to have that now as almost like a calling card to start a conversation about mental health, which was the coolest thing because at the time my company was starting to really get present to the importance of inclusion Mm -hmm. of invisible disabilities, just like we were inclusive of those with physical disabilities. So I was leveraging my memoir to cause more open conversations with leaders to initiate conversations in their own departments about what does it mean to be inclusive and to have an inclusive workspace and foster trust. So employees who may be struggling, You might see on the surface as performance, but truly could be something else underneath Mm -hmm. and all about engaging and creating trust and creating an open conversation. It's just the brain. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the brain just needs additional support and it's brain health. Right. So I use that to cause more conversations. And I sat on the leadership team of the fastest growing employee resource group for mental health and my company that turned into like this global movement. Cause it was a global organization and you know, we were having panel discussions. There was a Ted stage where people were openly sharing their connection to mental illness. Mm. It was creating energy and discussion. And it was amazing to witness because people We're openly starting to talk about things. And when you can talk about it, you can connect with other people who may be struggling or who have navigated it. And if they've navigated it, they represent hope. Mm -hmm. And that's the greatest gift that you can give an employee is to connect them to another employee who's navigated it Mm -hmm. who's okay after the storm and can actually provide a lens of hope to that person who might be in a space of ambiguity.
0: Right. The same way. That if, let's say I went into my workplace and announced that I had breast cancer, the first thing they would do is say, oh, go talk to so-and-so. She went through this five, ten years ago, and I would have latched on to her, and she would have been kind of a, a lighthouse and a beacon of hope yes. for me. Yes. So What a beautiful concept to be able to do the same thing. It's just an organ. It's a brain. (laughs) It needs tending to, it needs nurturing. It needs sometimes medication, just like any other illness. So that's wonderful.
1: And the alternative is that you don't have an open dialogue about mental health. And that poor person, like me in the beginning, has to put on a mask, come to work, And that added layer of stress and anxiety of keeping that a concealed secret is making my life even more challenging. So create that trust between the manager and the employee Mm -hmm. and have the employee feel comfortable talking about something that might be sensitive like this. Because if you can leverage a trusting relationship, you can support the employee where they are. If they need something, you can work with your HR department to give them certain accommodations you are going to foster loyalty and they are going to want to keep working. And if you look at the disability cost associated with mental illness, it is in your best interest to keep that employee engaged and a contribution in the capacity that they're able to, and you will have a loyal
0: workforce if you do that. Right. And that's something you address on your website as well. Yes. So for employers who again, may feel kind of out of their depth with that sort of conversation. If you're looking at the bottom line, it's in your best interest to gain some emotional intelligence around this topic. So that, of course, as a human being, you want to serve and help your employees. But when you're looking at the big picture, it's worth your time to invest in this topic and do your best to serve the employees so that they can serve you. And like you said, create a real loyalty. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: I think the biggest challenge that we have, you know, I've been part of this mental health landscape in the workforce for quite a few years now. I've done a bunch of public speaking. I've sat on workplace panel discussions at mental health meetings is, you know, when companies are so focused on driving for performance, their greatest asset gets diminished and that's their people. Mm-hmm. If they're driving so hard for performance and they're not checking in with their people and they're not caring for their people and they're not creating an environment where there is compassion and there is acceptance for invisible disabilities, you know, it's such a missing. It it really, really is. And performance mm-hmm. is going to happen if you cultivate a healthy workforce and a happy mm-hmm. workforce, you know, people would say, it's a chicken or the egg. No, like if you take care of your people, you create the environment, I bet you dollars to donuts that the performance is going to go up. Yes. And your ultimate expectation or your ultimate requirement is going to be fulfilled. Right. Just do a better job taking care of your people.
0: (laughs) Yes. I like that. So again, Michelle's website also offers some incredible resources and Michelle herself, does some coaching and work with companies. So talk to me about that. So you were part of this company. How did you transition into what you're doing now your own, this incredible, Mm -hmm. this incredible thing that you're doing? Tell me a little bit about that.
1: You know, I said to myself, like, how could I make a difference in the world in an area that really would light me up? And that is around mental health. Like, there's no two ways about it. And, and sure, I could. And I, I'm happy to coach individual people one on one, especially caregivers, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to navigate this better with a loved one. But I thought to myself, if we could have work environments that were truly conducive and actually were places where employees didn't mind going to work especially because of the rate of anxiety and stress and all of the things that we're all dealing with in corporate America and in Mm -hmm. the world in general. That's where I wanted to go. I I knew the workplace was going to be a place where you could truly make a difference for the masses one company at a time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my experience driving the ERG, the employee resource group, I think is a great skill that I would love to share with organizations how to go about doing that. I also have five ways that companies can create a more compassionate environment. There's so many different opportunities and there's so many different audiences. I'm talking to first responders. We have stories in the news in the New York police department, how many suicides are happening because we have first responders who are imploding because of PTSD. Mm.
0: So
1: I'm, I'm on a mission to help first responders. I'm on a mission um, to help physicians and physician burnout. We have a big epidemic with physician and healthcare workers. Burnout is just such a huge issue. And we're going to lose good care because of it. So mm-hmm. we have to take care of that population. We have mm-hmm. a lawyer population that, you know, is so easily going to because of the stress and strain of their billable hours structure, they're working how many hours a day and then they're resorting to, like you said, what color are you resorting to? Alcohol, yeah. drugs, whatever. So there's so many different populations and I see such a rich opportunity to really make a difference and create more awareness, education, yes. and provide companies with even like a self-sufficient peer community. I mean, mm-hmm. if you pull together lived experience of your own people, if you pulled right. them together, that's such an additional asset in addition oh, to yeah. EAP or benefits, like your people supporting your people. There's just so it's just ripe. There's so much opportunity to do a better job for people. And I'm on a mission to be the source of that
0: you are like i said your passion is admirable it resonates with me i feel the same way i get on this microphone i don't quite know what i'm supposed to be doing but like you said you're just a mouthpiece Mm -hmm. and i just know that you're right it is the right time the environment in the world is ripe for this right social media with all its downfalls also has this side of it where we can connect to people all around the world who come from all walks of life, but the feelings are the same. Yes. The experiences may be different. And the more we can connect on about that, yes, the less we're going to label one another as this or that, you know, this political party, this religious belief, this whatever, stop. Let's mm-hmm. just talk about how yes. we're feeling as human beings yes. and drop the other nonsense and, That I believe, you know, we're just two people right now, but the more people, everyone has these needs, everyone has these feelings and the safer we can make it for people to share, the less conflict there's going to be, the more peace, the more connection. And hopefully it will reverse these trends of increased suicide, of isolation, of the things, all the fallout from pain that people are living in. True. Very true. Yes. So cheers to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I agree. <laughs>
0: yeah. As we wind up, is there anything else you'd like to share with me before we part? You know, just based on what
1: you just said, I think it's the perfect add on. The thing I love to share with people, it's so basic. We're so connected on our phones every day. We're so connected on computers. And I think if we could all do one thing, and that is look into the eyes of the people around us and genuinely check in with them and say, are you okay? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I think that could go so far because you don't know if that person sitting next to you in the cubicle next to you is struggling in isolation, doesn't have someone at home checking on them. Mm -hmm. It's so basic, like human to human, like Just care for one another and ask Mm -hmm. everyone if they're okay. Ask the people in your community, are you okay? Mm Because it can make all the difference. And don't think you got to fix it. That's not what this is about. It's just checking in. Are you okay? And don't feel like you got to fix it. Go first. Like show people what that looks like. And Mm -hmm. I bet you it'll cause a ripple effect.
0: I love that. I love that. Your book, Breaking into My Life, Growing Up with a Bipolar Parent, and My Battle to Reclaim Myself, is available, I know it's available on Amazon.
1: Amazon, and it's both hard copy and Kindle on Amazon.
0: Okay, great. And um, I think we had talked about an audio book coming out soon.
1: Maybe, we'll I see. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it. And again, everybody, Michelle Edickinson.com, breaking into my life.com. And you're available on all the social media platforms?
1: I am. I am. It's Michelle Dickinson71 on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook, Michelle E. Dickinson. Okay.
0: Thank you so much for being here. I feel like this has been a very meaningful conversation for me personally. And I really, again, just ask the inverse to put it into the ears of whomever needs to hear it and pay it forward. And remember, we're more alike than different. If you like this podcast, rate my podcast. I like five stars. Um, <laughs> and please leave a review. You can follow me on social media and you can find my website at victoriaenglishmartin.com. You can find my podcast there. As you know, I'm also an integrative nutrition coach. I'm available to help you with just getting healthier in all areas of your life. And I look forward to talking to you soon, Michelle. Thank you for having me, Victoria. Have a great new year. Thanks for listening to After the Crisis with Victoria. For more about me, how I can serve your needs, and links to our special guests, please subscribe to this podcast and visit victoriaenglishmartin.com. Also, come on over to our free Facebook group and join our community After the Crisis with Victoria. I'm offering access to fun, healthy, and thought-provoking content. Additionally, you'll find exclusive programs, workshops, and one-on-one coaching. Until next time, count your blessings, not your burdens. And remember, there is life after the crisis.